Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KU Beat reporter for the Kansas City Star. I'm joined once again this week by CJ Moore of Bleacher Report. CJ, how is your week going? Well, Jesse, I was going to say, you know, the sun came up the day after Kansas lost, but I'm not really sure it has come up since then. I think we're just <laughs> living in this gray world. I'm ready to get to Phoenix and see the actual sun. Yeah, I think the most depressing part of this whole situation, CJ, honestly, from a personal standpoint, is I won't get to go one-on-one against you again in basketball like <laughs> happened 10 years ago because I very much was looking forward to that and seeing all the other uh, scribes out there ball at the Final Four, and that's just not going to happen now. Yeah, Jesse, I don't know if we actually went one-on-one. I think that would end poorly for you. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it would have been – I was really looking forward to the possibility of, of having Kansas media down there, and particularly Mr. Jesse Newell because, you know, I consider him a friend even though I'm kind of a jerk to him on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, it was it was, it was going to be fun to, ha- to have you down at the Final Four. I'm yeah, bummed the, about that. Yeah, the jerk thing is, is mutual, and it's also a shtick. It's what we do on the podcast. But I will tell you, yeah, Kansas media – I likely would have been one of the worst ones there. You know, Benton Smith, he's a taller guy. He, he'd have been able to ball. Matt Tate, eh, not so much. Uh, Gary Bedore. I, I used to play on Tate's team. He's all right. You stick him in the corner, you know. he's He, he talks a lot of trash. I, I was going to say, so the, ba- the bigger right. thing with him is like he I don't always, think you could have gotten but, – but you were about to go Bedore. I don't think you could put Bedore really got out there. I don't see that. He, he's, Bedore, he's money from the corner. That's all I know. If, if you ask Aaron <laughs> Miles, he will tell you Bedore is money from the corner. And with Tate – Tate's a good player, and he's better than me, I'll admit that, but he just tries this spinning behind-the-back pass, like every pass. He just loves that pass, and it gets stolen about one every three times. If he just eliminated that from his game, tried to eliminate the flash, he'd be a good player, but but he just can't eliminate the flash. That's the problem. Oh, I, uh, I used to play on his team when I was in college. They were called the captains, I think. He didn't do any of that crap then because he had some guys that were former college players, and the, they, they were just angry. And, like, if you screwed up, you heard about it. So all Tate basically did was stand in the corner and not screw up because those dudes, they were, like, they were mean if you messed up. They were intimidating guys. So that's all I've ever seen of him. I don't think I've seen really all his flair that he has maybe to offer. <laughs> that, that's good to know. I'll have to remember if I ever play pickup with him again just to be really mean to him so he doesn't turn it over. <laughs> um, but, yeah, definitely a guy. He can he can play. He can play. Again, all, everybody's better than me. I, I know that for a fact. But let's talk about Kansas and Kansas hoops. I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, the season finale for KU in the Elite Eight against Oregon. You guys brought it with the Twitter questions, so we'll get to those and also a look ahead to 2017-2018 because it's never too early for that. It's never too early to look ahead and see what Kansas might have coming down the pipeline and also going uh, for a 14th, I mean 14th consecutive Big 12 title, which uh, would set the new record and be something that has not ever happened in college basketball history. Before we get to that, 74-60 CJ, KU loses to Oregon in the Elite Eight. Uh, I know you were there, I was there. Uh, Just general impressions, general thoughts about this game and uh, what you thought about KU, uh, how they played. Well, Jesse, I think this was about the worst case scenario in every way for Kansas. And just, I mean, kind of to take through a couple of th- just general thoughts from the game. One, I think the game changed, obviously, a couple minutes in when Josh Jackson fouled Dylan Brooks, and I do think he fouled him. Um, this, he, him picking up his second foul there completely changed Kansas. And if we remember the last time KU had, did not have Josh Jackson, they lost to TCU. So I think that team got really vulnerable really quick when you took away one of the important pieces. And that's why, you know, I guess rightfully so, foul trouble and depth was kind of a concern for, for KU fans all season. What would happen if, the, you know, if this guy gets in foul trouble, this guy gets in foul trouble? So we kind of saw, you know, obviously they were a different team with Jackson. And then I thought Self made the right move to bring him back with about, I think it was about 830 left i thought that was the right move i don't i'm not in the sit a guy with two fouls for the rest of the half camp i think you have to bring him back i think it's just too long to sit i also am in the camp where i you know the game is the game the those minutes in the first half are just as more as important as the minutes in the second half and you, you you can't get them back so i think you just play a guy and you trust him but with jackson he came back in and he wasn't the same type of guy Although at the same time, uh, Jackson that was kind of messed up in the head out there was probably better than the alternative. And they really hung in there that first half. And then the, the game completely changed when 
um, Tyler Dorsey came down and very smartly went two for one and hit kind of two lucky threes there at the end of the half. I think if that's a five-point game at halftime, the second half plays out in a very different way, and KU doesn't come out and is kind of playing so – I mean, they came out in the second half and were a team that was like under a lot of stress and felt like they had to get it back really quickly. And they never really played like themselves throughout the course of that game. The fact that they were even there – close with six you know to get it to, to get it to six after Svee's three kind of spoke to the I don't know resiliency maybe of this team that they were even in that game and had had a chance at that point yeah let's talk about Josh Jackson because the foul trouble was there but I thought the bigger issue wasn't the foul trouble it's what you talked about and it's funny how th- it seems to me like going throughout the course of the season and it's almost like a a futile exercise or like an exercise in misery, how KU fans try to predict what is going to haunt the team in March. You're like, what is going to be yeah. what takes this team down? And it's, it's almost funny to listen to in January, February, because you think, man, you know, how pessimistic or negative do you have to be to like try to squint and figure out what is going to be the downfall of this particular Kansas team? But there was a lot of talk throughout the year about Josh Jackson not keeping his composure. And, you know, throughout the AU circuit, you know, he was impressed all these coaches because he was ultra competitive. He went after the ball the whole year. He was unselfish. He was he liked to be on KU's team. But there were those moments and those flashes. And you remember back to the Duke game. You remember some other games where he got technicals, whether they were deserved or not, where he just lost his cool. He lost his composure. And, and he basically was not helping KU past that point. Now, you know, I had this conversation with Saran Petro of 810 yesterday, and he kind of got after me a little bit and said, look, in the final five or ten minutes, Josh Jackson flashed. He got some offensive rebounds. He was playing really well. He was scoring. That's all true, but, you know, Oregon got more than ten minutes out of Jordan Bell. It got more than ten minutes out of Tyler Dorsey. It got more than ten minutes out of Dylan Brooks. And so Josh Jackson, not only did the fouls hurt him, but him taking himself out of the game, you know, he was screaming at Frank Mason. He was screaming at Landon Lucas to get rebounds. He was yelling at officials when he was still scoreless early in the second half. And and you could tell he was not mentally into it. And I know I'm going to be more critical of him than you are with this, CJ, but he couldn't guard Dylan Brooks. And that was a big problem for Kansas is that he was the most natural fit to guard him. And I went back and rewatched part of the game. There were three different times I wrote down just in the first half where uh, he wasn't getting out far enough to, to defend him on the shot. And then there was another time he let Enos drive right by him, which was a crucial point at the end of the first half when KU was got it to down three. Josh Jackson was clapping his hands, you know, trying to get the crowd fired up. And while he was doing that, Ennis went right around him on a drive, got an easy two. That was before the two Tyler Dorsey threes. Mm-hmm. So, again, I mean, it is kind of weird to think about, like, how a lot of KU fans might have wondered if Josh Jackson, if he got rattled a little bit, if that could be kind of the downfall of Kansas season. I'm not, I'm not pinning this all on Josh Jackson, but, again, my quick scout, the headline was, KU needs a focused Josh Jackson against Oregon because of that match and because of how important he would be against yeah. an Oregon team that plays a lot like Iowa State. KU didn't get that, and that was a big factor in the game. Yeah, he he, he was, and he... We, I mean, we talked about repeatedly how, how I thought he was the most important piece to their defense all year. Yep. And when he was at his best offensively, they were at another level. When he wasn't, they could get average real quick. And um, I'm going to read to you. A, a, I, I had to do this stock up, stock down thing for the top NBA bra- prospects for what they did in the tournament. I'm going to read to you a quote. Um, I kind of blended together a couple of different scouts' takes. And um, so here's one of them. He says, People are worried about the off the court stuff, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to affect him on the court. But he looked really frustrated against Oregon. He was jawing with guys. He's just letting the adversity get to him, and I think that hurt him. It reminds me a lot of the Draymond Green issue. Draymond Green issue. It's a thing that makes him great, but it's also the thing that is the greatest concern. So you know, I I think that kind of speaks to to kind of that final game, and he you know the the, the play that sticks out in my mind is. Um, he thought he got his third in the first half for a rebound that he was fighting with Ennis. Mm-hmm. And he walked away and he tore out his jersey again. And his guys kind of ran up to him, to him like, no, no, the foul's on, on Ennis, not you, you know. And um, it was actually the right call. It, it should have been on Ennis. He, he thought it was on him because the whistle came late. It was a late whistle. If they would have blown the whistle on time, Jackson probably doesn't react like that because then Ennis, Ennis ended up falling you know, on the floor right after. And so he thought – it got caught on him, but I thought it. What 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 really affected him was, and this isn't necessarily a, a him just being. Um, I mean, yeah, he would let some things get to him sometimes too much, but this is also kind of a basketball thing. You get two fouls, and it can change you how you play. 
And so from a defensive standpoint, maybe he wasn't as aggressive. And then offensively, I thought he was really tentative to drive in that first half where he needed to be attacking the basket. And one thing I didn't think Kansas did well enough in that game was Jordan Bell was controlling things so much. And if you could take away drives from Kansas, but they didn't take away drives, but they took away the effectiveness of the drives because he wiped everything out at the rim. And if he didn't wipe it out, he changed it enough where he could get the own, his own rebound or to get the rebound of the missed shot. And what you have to do against a shot blocker like that is you have to get it up over him and hope that your guy that he came off of, in this case, uh, Landon Lucas, can get the foot back. But Bell would change shots so much that they weren't able to get those putbacks. So I, what I thought KU needed to do was really drive it and start to get the defense in rotations to where eventually you can get a shot that Bell's not affecting. And they really didn't have the patient levels to do that, and they also needed a Josh Jackson to be aggressive and be the one guy because he was the one guy who could kind of go at him, and you saw that late, and they needed that more earlier on. But he was too scared to get that call on a charge in the first half, and you know that, that really hurt. Yeah, it's crazy you talk about that. You know, KU – um, scared. It seemed like that. That you know, there were some whispers from the Oregon locker room, or I guess just some talk from the Oregon beat writers that said that they knew Josh Jackson was coming around on that first play of the game because that's how what KU it's done every play. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. so they basically said, hey, let him drive, and Jordan Bell's going to come up and block this shot and let everybody know that he's there. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And you could see KU tentative after that. It's crazy though. I mean. All these KU fans, you know, you, you watch this game and say, wow, Jordan Bell, he's an amazing guy. And I know he's on, like, the Draft Express list and everything. But Oregon as a team, I believe I saw this stat, Oregon as a team had seven block shots in the three NCAA tournament games coming in. And Jordan Bell has eight against Kansas. I mean, what's going on well, here? You know what I mean? A, That's crazy. It's a, it's a different type of team that they played, though. Because Michigan shoots a lot of jumpers. So he didn't have as much influence there. And then let's see who were their first two games against. They played they played Iona, right? Iona is another jump shooting team that you know doesn't have guys that that really dr- can drive it inside. And then um, let's see the second round they played Rhode Island, Rhode Island, Rhode Island, which you know kind of has you know has some guys that can drive it in there. But but you know it's it's just, they Kansas is so reliant on drives and getting to the rim to where that was that was my concern going into the game I mean I don't know if you, we talked beforehand Jesse but but Jordan Bell I thought people were underestimating what kind of presence he could have because if you take away KU's ability to to get easy buckets around the rim and that's how the team got easy buckets around the rim was through driving it wasn't through post touches and when you have a shot blocker like that, it's kind of like what Anthony Davis was able to do back in the day. You know, when when Kansas tried to drive at him, he just he intimidates, and he was in their heads. And you have, you know, Devonte Graham. That shot I think showed how much influence he had on the game. When Devonte Graham goes in from about four to five feet and like airballs it, they were he was he was definitely in their head. And and what's tough in in an NCAA tournament setting is okay in the NBA in an NBA series. A Jordan Bell can take away everything in that first game, and then you're able to adjust in the second game. Yep. It's really, really hard to make that much of an adjustment inside one game, especially when you're playing from behind, and that's what makes the NCAA tournament so difficult and why the best teams don't always win because you can get in one particular matchup where you don't match up well, and it's it's hard to make the adjustment once you get down so much. Well, and the thing I want to mention, you, you mentioned this um, earlier, but yeah, Frank Mason, I remember, had one where he drove in Drew the defense, threw a lob to Landon Lucas and scored. But, you know, the other thing that's really protected Kansas throughout this whole year on those drives, you're talking about kind of the four game they play, the weave offense they run, is that when those guys have gotten inside and driven, Landon Lucas has always had his little butt screens, you know, to kind of shield off the shot blockers. And again, this was just, this was so out of character again for Kansas because. I mean, Landon Lucas wasn't only not playing well and not getting rebounds, which was something that never happened basically the whole season, but he wasn't shielding off the one guy that he was there to shield off. You know what I mean? Like, usually when Frank Mason, I'd always kind of point this out in those games where, oh, hey, Frank Mason got this drive, but hey, you got to look at Landon Lucas because he shields his guy off really well and allows, you know, 5'11 Frank Mason to make this layup in the lane, but he wasn't able to do it. I mean, Jordan Bell was just 
the whole game was a, a step faster than Landon Lucas, and I really thought Lucas would give Jordan Bell problems because Bell is not a physical player. I mean, you know, some of KU guys got asked about physicality after the game. This was not physicality. This was athleticism. This was quickness. This was quickness yeah. and athleticism. So I thought Landon could give Jordan some problems because mm. Jordan is not a physical player, but what ended up happening was just the whole game, and I don't, again, it could be nerves, could be, you know, his. Landon's dad played for Oregon. Maybe there's extra pressure. He knows what playing at Kansas City is. He hasn't been to a Final Four. All those sorts of things. But just Landon was not himself. And, again, that hurt KU. That, I mean, that really hurts KU because not only was Landon not scoring, but then Frank Mason and Devontae Graham all those guys were getting their shots blocked frequently when Landon couldn't even seal off his own guy, which was allowing KU to score for so many games this season. But at the same time, Oregon played kind of a – you know, they played a lot of zone, and they just kind of – put bell right in front of the rim so it's harder when he's not actually really guarding you to to do those kind of you know butt screens you're talking about and stuff like that so and plus jordan bell is so quick that you know that's what makes jordan bell such an intriguing prospect is the way he can move at that size i mean he's he's just a unique player and that's why you know as a help defender he's he's just such a, a a great weapon so um you know, it was it was just kind of a, a, a tough matchup for them. And then the way Tyler Dorsey was shooting the ball when he gets involved with, with Brooks and ball screen situations, you can't let Dorsey get a look. And then you end up recovering on Brooks, and that's not how you want to play defense on Brooks. And that's how Josh Jackson got his second foul. So it was it was just kind of everything went wrong for Kansas. But if KU makes shots, they're up, they're they're right there with them, and they just didn't make shots. Let me let me go ahead and say this, CJ, before we move on to the Twitter questions, because it, it is crazy. So you know, it feels like KU just got dominated in all aspects. You know, you see seventy four sixty. You just feel like KU just played awful. All those sorts of things. Okay, let me go over it. Offensive rebounding percentage for Oregon. 31%. You want to guess what it was for Kansas? 25. 31%. Okay. okay. Turnover yeah. percentage for Oregon, 20%. You want to guess what it was for Kansas? Um, 20%. 13%. Okay. Oh. Uh, free throws for Oregon, 5 of 7. For Kansas, 13 of 17. Okay, yeah. so so we go with those three stats, and you say three point shooting is a big difference. So, so you go you go those three stats. Those three the, the rebounding is exactly equal. It felt like Oregon dominated. It was basically mm-hmm. exactly equal. Turnovers, KU, and turnovers have been a problem for KU in the tournament. KU has eight turnovers. Uh, that's a great number for for them. And Oregon actually had more than that. Two point shooting, Oregon was better, but a lot of that was the shot blocking because uh, Oregon blocked eight shots. KU was only able to block one. But again, yeah. Both teams, Oregon comes in the game 38% from three. KU comes in the game 41% from three. Now, you have to give credit to Oregon for closing out. You have to give credit to Oregon for playing defense, even if you know you can't give them all credit. But 25 shots each, Oregon makes 11, KU makes five. I mean, six times mm-hmm. three is pretty easy math, CJ. I mean, if you take everything else into account and say both teams make eight to 25 from three, you're looking at a four-point KU victory. So, again, I'm not making excuses for Kansas, and some of those threes late were forced up. I mean, KU was desperate trying to get those shots up. I'm not pretending like those are good shots, but this is, to, to me... A lot, oh, there were a good number of them that were, there were fine shots, and they just didn't make them. Se- yeah. Semi-guarded threes now, CJ, the, the line's too close. Semi-guarded threes for Devontae Graham are a good shot for Kansas basketball. Mm-hmm. And I think the bigger concern moving forward is, as often happens in these games, is that one game becomes a way bigger thing than maybe what it should be. And now Bill Self could look at this and say, well, here it was. I, I gave my guys freedom. I told them they could shoot it when they wanted to. They went 5 for 25 in the Elite Eight game, and KU lost this way again. It's time to go back to the old thing and what happened before, when really in reality this was KU's best offense in quite some time. Uh, couldn't get out in transition, which is what they've done all season. Oregon athletic and, and did a good job of that. But it just kind of stinks, I think, because – I mean, that's how the game goes. You know, you like you said, if it was a one-game sample out of a seven-game series, you, you come back the next game and maybe you shoot 11 for 25 and, and everything's mm-hmm. okay. But, it evens out. But, yeah. but, but there's the danger there that Bill Self maybe swings back to the opposite direction because, once again, KU relied on three-pointers and it didn't go well for them. And part of that is just kind of the luck of the draw and what happens in, in, in a one-game sample. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And, um, I mean, the – it's just hard. It's it's hard to win any game when you're when you're five of, of, of twenty five from three, and at the same time they grab a rebound down six, and, and they might have had a shot. Who knows but, what uh, happens? 
who knows what happens there. But but once once Oregon got that rebound and then, I mean, Tyler Dorsey was just a bad boy in that game. To be able to cross Vic up at the end of the shot clock right after that and hit that shot he hit, I mean, that was that was ball game. And um, you know, you have to. You you focus so much on Kansas, but but you have to give it to Oregon. One, they had a really really good game plan, and two, their shot makers made shots, and they played a a heck of a game. And they're also a really really good team. Like Oregon isn't a three seed. Oregon struggled a little bit the first month of the season when their best player was out because Dylan Brooks had a foot injury, and that's a team that probably is a one or two seed, maybe even a one seed. I, I was on uh, with with Carrington um, right dirt, right before the Big 12, I think the Friday of the Big 12 tournament, he asked me for four teams who I thought had the best shot to win the title. I said KU, North Carolina, Gonzaga, and Oregon. Like, I, you know, I thought pretty highly of Oregon then, and I thought pretty highly of them throughout the whole year. And, uh, you know, that, that K, if, if KU ends up – or if – sorry, if Oregon goes out this weekend and beats Carolina on Saturday – does that mean Carolina had a better season than Kansas because Carolina's in the Final Four, but they lost to the same team? No. You know, KU probably had the better season. So, you know, we, we put so much weight in getting to a Final Four, but but sometimes it's just about who you play, and and Oregon, you know, was, was great on that day. Two things. Um, those Dorsey 3-3s three that you're talking about. I mean, you want to talk about Devontae Graham shooting semi-guarded ones. I mean, the Dorsey pull up right before the half. The banked in shot where Frank Mason closed out on him really well, and then the shot after the offensive rebound where the shot clock was running down mm-hmm. and he put one up. Three incredibly difficult shots, and again, give him credit. He made all of them. Uh, one of them was banked, but those are huge plays, huge plays in the course of the game that swung the momentum. And for two, I'm going to disagree with you here, CJ, because I'm sorry, KU was a seven-point favorite, and you're playing that game at home. Um you know, like, I, I get it. Like, I'm the number one guy that will tell you, like, hey, crazy things happen, one game sample, you know, don't rip Bill Self, all those sorts of things. But Oregon was a seven-point underdog in that game. And I, I'm not going to give them all the credit in the world and say they should have been a one seed, they should have been a two seed. Okay, you got a break facing Oregon instead of Louisville. The, the, the arena was 90 Oh, uh, I, I disagree. I disagree. I disagree with you on that point. Uh, I'm with you on the, on the, uh, the road. I, Oregon's a better team than Louisville. Well, I definitely disagree with that, and the, and the Vegas line would have told you that. But the thing is, again, seven point favorite. You're playing in in Kansas City. Uh, you can you can say matchups or whatever you want to say. If you're a seven point favorite, you got to win the game. I mean, that's Bill Self knows that. Everybody knows that. Okay, you fans understand that. Like this was, it was the closest thing to me since VCU to VCU for Kansas. I mean, the whole I, thing I, was set up for them to make the final that, four. That's- that's the that's the one where I think you can you can be critical all you want. I think they blew the VCU thing and they should have won the title that year. And now self is almost like like if, if they if they go and win the title in 2011 and then they lose that game the other day, there's probably way less chatter about it. And you know, Bill Self can't win past the Elite Eight. Blah 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 blah. I'm like, I, I'm just saying something's there, CJ. I mean. In the regular season, if Cage is a seven-point favorite, it never loses by fourteen. But but not but not in this this particular game. I, I I understand where you're going with it, and I and and I I agree that there are games where they have played tight in the tournament. But that that game the other day, I just don't think you can go there because one, the kid gets the, their their best player, their most talented player, Josh Jackson, gets two fouls coming in really early. That completely changes the game, and you and you just. You played a team that had a dominant shot blocker. They just got outplayed against a, a really, really good team. Sometimes you play a really good team, and that's that's kind of why I wrote the column I, I wrote because Oregon was really, really well prepared, and they have really, really good players too. And they've also had ton of success the last you know two or three years, to where the, you know they were right on the doorstep last year to the Final Four as well. As a one, they were one seed last year, and they're better this year. So. You know, you, you lost to a really, really good team, and if if they go out and win the title this this weekend, maybe that kind of changes where where you are with that argument. Well, I, we'll see. Again, people will be listening to this, I'm sure. After that, I don't think Oregon's winning the title, and I don't think they're beating Carolina. But you can, if you're KU, you can play a bad game and still beat Oregon. I mean, you're a seven point favorite. That's that's my point. And so, again, I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't. I, I don't can, know. Can, can you can you play a bad game against that Oregon team and s- still beat them? I don't. I don't know that you can. Like, I think you have to play good to beat that team. Okay, 
KU was a seven-point favorite, CJ. You can play bad and win by two. You can play bad and win by three. I mean, you have some margin of error. This, this wasn't KU playing North Carolina. It wasn't KU playing Gonzaga where it's a pick game. Or even, I mean, you you know me. The, I'm the first one to say last year against Villanova. I thought that was, it just ended up being a bad draw for KU. You know, that was a 50-50 game, a great game towards the end. KU loses by five. You know, one team makes more shots. Devontae has the foul trouble. Like, I, to me, that one... I was I was not critical at all about that one. And then Villanova showed they they went out and won the title. I thought Villanova could go out and win the title. I, I don't think that's happening this year. Again, we'll see what happens with it, and uh, we can move on to this you, again to talk know, about next year. But I, I just hold, wait, hold if on, you're a seven second. point favorite we'll, at home, it's, we'll it's, get there in a second. It's tough how to many get to how many games did, did Oregon lose this year with a healthy Dylan Brooks? Uh, I don't know. You're, I'm sure you're going to tell me two or three probably. Yeah, they lost three games. They lost at UCLA. They lost at Colorado. And they lost to Arizona in the Pac-12 championship. So they lost a bunch of road games, and then they faced Kansas on the road and, and won. <laughs> right? They lost. <laughs> they lost two road games. They lost at UCLA and at Colorado, which that Colorado trip is a is a weird one. I mean, it's going up in the altitude and, and stuff like that. So I, I can go know. back on you, CJ. I mean, after Boucher went I down, mean, couldn't you have made the same argument that Oregon wasn't as good of a team as it was early in the season? I think more too much was made of Boucher. He was he was a nice player, but he came off the bench for a reason. Well, that's obviously easy to say now that that Oregon beat Kansas is in the Final Four. Again, I I don't know I don't know what the answer is, and I, I'm I'm the one who wants to say it's a small sample size. This is weird, but uh, this is the seventh time out of those, that two and five for Bill Self that he's been favored in the Elite Eight game, and KU's two and five. So it, it's something something weird is going on, and I'm with you. I thought this was less Bill Self. Bill Self was less tight in this game than ever. Like, I've walked down my notepad, and he was just saying over and over, we're okay, guys, we're okay, you know, calm down, calm down. Like, this was the most cool, calm, relaxed Bill Self I can ever remember. Yeah. The, the, the only thing I can I really, the only thing I can think of and maybe, you know, look at a little bit is that the day before in the press conference setting, I mentioned this on 810 too, he goes, he brought up, it up. He goes yeah. up to the podium, he was asked about it, and his five starters are sitting there next to him, and he was asked about the Elite Eight, and he said, Oh yeah, this is the toughest game. This is where the pressure gets to be the most. This is where the shots just don't go in. I mean, it just kind of went on and on and on. And I, I mean, where, who, where you probably just say, "Hey, it's any other game. It's a tournament. They're well, all tough." Yeah, this is where you lie, Bill. I mean, this is yeah. where you just say, "Look, <laughs> look, what's in the past is in the past." Yes, my teams have struggled in this game, but you know what? These five guys next to me, I know they're not going to struggle because I've seen them play all year. I've seen them be confident all year, and I guarantee you... There's some bad dudes. I yeah. guarantee yeah. you there's some bad dudes, and we're going to come out as motivated and as fired up as any team you've ever seen play, and I have no question my guys are going to take over this game. Well, I think Jordan Bell put some doubt in their heads. I, I think he did too, but but that's what I'm saying. If you're Bill Self, I, I, I wouldn't... Again, this We are just... This is like micro, micro, micromanaging here. I'm talking about a question at a press conference before the game. So, but this is what yeah. happens. This is what happens when you're two and five in the big in the elite eight. But you over you overanalyze everything. But but I was and, surprised. I was surprised. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look at the look at the stat. I, I I tweeted out yesterday. I said most most NCAA attorney wins since 2000. Royce in first with 54. Coach K in second with 44. Izzo 43. Self 42 and Cal 40. And that goes back to Self's last season at Tulsa. So, you know, this isn't all at, at Kansas. I mean, the guy's won in the NCAA tournament. The guy's won it no matter when the games are played. He's won most of his games. I mean, I, it's it's just we put so much emphasis on on getting into the Final Four and and I understand it and, and and on national titles and I understand when you're at Kansas like that's that's what the expectation is and and having high expectations is 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 great, but to to jump on the guy and, and call him a choker, I I just don't see it as fair when you know he's two behind K and since 2000 and, and and wins in the in the tournament. I mean, all of these guys, it's hard. It's 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 why there aren't that many guys that have more than one title. I mean, it's it's really, really hard to win a national championship in this single elimination tournament. And he's going to get one eventually. And, it, you know, I, I'll say this, the VCU one, that that was bad. Like, they, they should have beat VCU. That was a mess up. There's no I, – I, I won't give you any excuses for losing that VCU team. That, that stunk because they had – that year they really did – did have it kind of paved to win the title because you would have played Butler and then you would have played Connecticut. That was a down year. Kansas had the best team left in the field. But 
I don't know that they would have gone and won the national championship this year. You know, Carolina's really good. Gonzaga's really good. So it wasn't like it was, you know, easy path. But I understand the Kansas City point. I understand Vegas having you light the line like it was. But if, if Kansas doesn't blow out Purdue, that line's way smaller. Well, and I put that in the quick scout. I picked KU by three, so I didn't think it was going to be an easy game. But I agree with all your other points, and I'm definitely, definitely not calling him a choker. That's not it. I'm just – my main point is – it seems like something is there. You know, it's almost with the stats, with him being a favorite on those games, it just seems like there's something there. And again, he's tried to figure it out. He's tried to adjust. He's tried to change his methods. He's tried lots of different things. So I feel for the guy. I, I mean, I really do. But Kansas, it seems like every single year has its worst offensive performance in its final game. And, and especially when it happens in the Elite Eight. So it's just, it's weird. You're usually it's, playing a pretty good team then. You you are usually playing a pretty good team then. But again, yeah. I, th- this is... To be a seven-point favorite and lose by 14, that, that seems like a, a performance that's almost completely off the map. Let's get to these, some of these Twitter questions, CJ. I promised that we would do this, and uh, there's lots of really, really good ones, too. So uh, let's get to these. From payheed underscore 08, with what you know today, who is the starting five next year? So uh, let's start with that one. Starting five next year for Kansas basketball. You, you fire them off first, Jesse. <laughs> well, obviously a lot depends on whether Devontae Graham and Svi Mikhailuk come back. The word has kind let's- of... Let's go with the definite. Sorry, I, I don't mean to, to interrupt you, but but we can do this together. Let's go with the ones that are definitely going to be starters. Mal- Udoka, that's Mal- a given at the five. Malik Newman, Billy Preston. That's a given at the two. I don't know that I think it's probably Preston at the four, but I w- could see a scenario where it's Carlton Bragg starting at the four. I could also see a scenario where Carlton Bragg transfers out and never even gets that shot. Yep, and then the other two seem to be pretty easy because uh, if Devontae Graham comes back, from the word we've gotten, him and Svi are very close, good buddies. Probably both of them are either going to come back or leave together, uh, but I, I would assume that Devontae Graham comes back. That's where I would lean with it right now, so yeah. if you've got that, that you fill the rest of the lineup. So you got Devontae Graham, Malik Newman, Svi Mikhailuk, Billy Preston, Yudoka Azubuki, and then we can go ahead if that's what uh, that's the lineup. Let's go ahead and go back to, to Bobby Norell's question on Twitter, and he says, does KU go back to playing high-low and through its big men next year? Uh, what's a realistic expectation for Yudoka as a rim protector, or as, and is he a rim protector? So with Billy Preston at the four, I think he's more, from the scouting reports I've gotten, he's more of a Josh Jackson type, um, so, you know, kind of a, a stretch four sort of guy. So I think KU probably will kind of marry the two things together, maybe not as much four guard lineup next year they can kind of mix and match with with the type of lineups they had kind of kind of like they did mm-hmm. this year but i would assume KU would start with that four guard look continue the offense they've run but maybe a little bit more too big look uh, depending on the big men that are available next year yeah you know i haven't seen Preston play so but i but i you know i've talked to scouts about him i would anticipate best case scenario he turns into kind of like a marcus morris type okay so yeah i i do think you you turn into a um more you know a little there's you're gonna see the high low again next season and if if i'm kansas i study a lot of gonzaga and how they use shimmick karnowski both defensively and offensively particularly defensively because he's a really really effective defender and there's kind of some similarities with how he's built you know udoka is not quite the mountain of a man that karnowski is but it's but it's similar Yep, and uh, he could be a rim projector for KU next year. He showed flashes of that early. But uh, also remember, you know, Yudoka is not a finished product, especially excuse me, especially offensively. And mm-hmm. there was a reason that KU's turnover percentage improved quite a bit once he was off the floor because early on uh, he still had a little bit of issue with that and kind of knowing where to go with the ball when passing. So uh, he's not... He's not a finished product. I guess I'll just say that. You know, like he will help KU, and he would have helped KU at the end of this year, but a very limited in college basketball experience or basketball experience in general. So uh, I wouldn't assume he's going to step on the court and immediately just be great for Kansas on both ends. It's still going to take some development time there. Let's go with Jeffrey at JBE741. Did Frank just give KU the best season since Danny? Has anyone in the Williams or Self era had a better season? Oh, man, this is a tough one because there's been some really, really good ones through the years. Um, you know, I always think the Marcus Morris in 11 season was really special. Um, the rate, or sorry, the Nick Collison and Drew Gooden years, their last years, each of them respectively, Gooden's junior year and then um, Collison's senior year were both really, really good. And I think they got some player of the year awards for both those, didn't they? 
Uh, might have kind of touched on it, but nothing like Frank's getting this year. Obviously. Yeah, nothing like I think Frank's might sweep it all. So when you just talk basically him comparing to the field, then yeah, probably probably the best since Manny. The other the other one I was going to throw out there was was Rafe had some pretty incredible years his last two years. So you know those are those are all big men. So it's kind of hard to compare big men to guard. But as far as guards go. Yeah, I can't think of a, a a better one. Yeah, I think the Rafe call is a good one. Uh, I can't remember anybody as dominant since maybe then. I mean, the other one that always pops in my mind is Thomas Robinson, twenty twelve, just because of the type of team that KU had, where it was basically yeah. the, the Tyshawn and Thomas show. And again, he ended up as an All American on most lists, but behind Anthony Davis. But I mean, Anthony Davis. If there was an Anthony Davis this year, he might be Player of the Year too. So it might be a little bit unfair to compare. Thomas to Anthony Davis when uh, that was kind of a, a freak of a talent, but yeah, no, I think and Wayne, Wayne's Wayne's last year, his last yes. two years were pretty darn good too. You, I, we at least have to mention him. It'd be unfair not to when you mention those other guys. So, yeah, when you're going statistically, uh, you know, averaging, I think he almost averaged a double double, didn't he? I'd have to go back and, but if he didn't, it was really really close. But a scorer and rebounder as far as that goes. But I mean, I think I would have to say Frank's season was the best. Out of yeah, all those. yeah, yeah. I, I I think so. I don't know. I mean, those those big men were so good that I almost. The, I mean, I'm, I'm talking Rafe, Nick, and and Drew. They were so good that I that I almost want to say they're about even. But um, you know, I do think that that Frank's gonna sweep the National Player of the Year awards or at least get close to it. And nobody's had anything like that since since Danny. Although you know, you told me Hershey Hawkins, get out of here with Hershey Hawkins. Hershey Hawkins won four. He, of he he won him and him at Bradley got got some of them. So that's that's a joke. They need to go back and 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 redo that. But but you do well remember Kansas was a six seed that year. So um, you know. Probably Danny got hurt a little bit by the uh, lack of team success. Hershey Hawkins won four of the National Player of the Year awards. Danny Manning won three that year. So actually, Frank's going to become the first unanimous, or I'm sorry, not unanimous, consensus uh, National Player of the Year that KU's had. Uh, pretty crazy stuff. Assuming it gets, assuming it gets him, but I think he will. Yeah, I think so too. From Kyle at J Hawks Cards Fan Five, Self's current contract runs through 21. Is he due an extension soon? And how long do you think he coaches for? Thoughts, CJ? <laughs> Uh, let's see. Extension. What are we in? 2017. Yeah, he'll probably maybe one more year. They'll, and they'll give him an extension. Maybe you know, a lot of times they'll give guys extensions even if they don't even think they'll coach through the whole thing just yep. to have it out there. Uh, how how old is Bill Self? Fifty. He's what? twenty years older than me, so he's fifty three. Fifty three. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can see him coaching another at least ten years. I think that's about right. I mean, he's always talking about he doesn't want to coach forever, but the guy is also super duper competitive. So uh, I wouldn't rule out him kind of uh, going maybe a little bit longer than he thinks right now. But you know, mm-hmm. speaking of that, I don't know if it like you said, there's four years left on the contract, no real reason to extend him now. But this would be a good time to extend it if you wanted to, because um, usually in these sort of contract things, it's it's good to give the coach the. Uh, I mean, not the bill self necessarily needs it, but you you reward a guy when not everyone is is loving him you know what i mean like bill self is he's taking some criticism right now you know it's it can't be the best week for him he's he's got to be disappointed and frustrated that this team didn't make the final four but you know an act like that from shay and zinger or the ku administration i think would would be a positive move if they did want to go that way again it's not necessary with four years left on his deal but uh, sometimes these sorts of things happen just to kind of throw the all your support behind the coach that has done so much for the university in the last few years yeah, I mean, when you look at it and you look at that that list I I um I, I read off earlier, can, can, it's part of the the reason people are so frustrated. Is, I mean, Kansas is people who follow the team; they're spoiled. I mean, you have two of the best five coaches of the modern era. I'd say that list is probably your Mount Rushmore of of the current era of college basketball, and you had two of the five as your coach over the last. 30 years <laughs> yeah so i mean it's just it's 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 unreal and and yeah you you only have one title out of there and i understand the the, the frustration there but you know you've had just an unbelievable no, nobody can touch kansas basketball over those you know since over those that 28 year span or whatever it is in terms of regular season and postseason success combined except for duke and 
Carolina, but even, you know, Kansas has even been more consistent than those teams in terms of just having high-level teams every single season. So Been, been to the tournament every year since uh, the probation year in 89, and then uh, also, you know, Sam Mellinger wrote a great column about it in his in Mellinger Minutes today. I encourage people to go check it out. But, yeah, just the, the overall success that they've had and not had down years. I mean, Kentucky, what was it, three or four years ago in the That's NIT? It. Yeah, NIT, yeah. Uh, I mean, so, Carolina I mean, had an NIT, too, uh, during during Roy's time so far. And I Sam, mean, like, yeah, Sam's main message is you take the good with the bad. But here's the other thing, you know, if you're looking at Bill Self things as well, if they make it to 14 straight conference titles, that's never going to happen again, folks. I mean, this is uh, something that will never, ever happen again. And so uh, that's something you would look out and say, uh, I mean, national championship happens every year and people love those, obviously, but this is something that will stay in the record books for as long as there's an NCAA or college basketball or whatever it's called in the future. No one will ever match this again. So uh, that's something else to look at with Bill Self and, and to realize kind of the histori- historical significance of what's going on. All right, let's get to Ty Briggs. The Ty Briggs on here, Graham Duvall and Newman. KU better with Duvall and Newman or Graham and Newman? Thoughts? Uh, Probably Graham and Newman just because, I mean, I think experience is, is important in college basketball. Um, Duvall, the thought on him is he's a really, really good slasher and super athletic, no jump shot. So, I mean, it kind of depends. What do you want? Do you want the guy that can slash or do you want the guy that can hit the jumpers? Because I think if Devontae Graham does come back, I think what NBA people are going to tell him is he needs to improve finishing around the rim and showing he can get to the rim. So that's that's the one thing you want to see more out of him this uh, next year because, you know, he didn't have a lot of finishes around the rim this year. Yeah, and, and part of that I think was just kind of knowing his strengths, at least for this year. He didn't have to be a go-to scorer, but you're right. When he drove, he drove to a jump shot. Or and then otherwise he took the spot up threes, which he was really really good at until the uh, final game of the season. And sure enough, you know he, it's the same thing. You know Tyrell Reed goes what one for eight against VCU or one for nine from three. Wayne Seldon yeah. goes zero for six. Uh, Devonta Graham goes zero for six. I mean I looked it up. Uh, again, this is kind of fuzzy math here, but if if you consider Devonta Graham came into the game at forty percent three point shooter, uh, and he shot six of them, the math would say that there's a point four percent chance that a guy like that would would make or would, I'm sorry would miss six three pointers in a row. So, just kind of the crazy things. I also looked it up in the last 135 games out of the last four seasons. Only two players have gone 0 for six or worse from three point range in the last four seasons. Wayne Seldon against Villanova, Devonte Graham against Oregon. I mean the elite eight curse. It's it's just a real just thing. I mean digging I'm, that digging that knife in. I'm, I'm telling you, it's just a, it's a real thing. So. uh Let's get to a couple more here from uh, TD1 Tribe KU. Self not going five guards earlier, leaving Jackson out there with too long with two fouls and passive plays. Um, any thoughts on that? I, KU was effective late when it went to uh, Jackson at the five, and that's something they did against Iowa State. Were you surprised that KU didn't go to that a little bit sooner to kind of try to match up with uh, with Oregon there? Uh, that's kind of a thought I had throughout the game was was maybe you know going, going super small. Um, I, it, it's tough though because you needed to find a way to get your guards a li- just a little bit of time on the bench, especially Mason, and I don't think they ever did. Nope. But um, you know, he he looked like he tired out there in the second half. But it's it, it's also hard to go away from what you do most of the year right there. And but yeah, I, I think it might not have been a bad you know move to, to try the, 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 the five small, but you were chipping away with what you were doing and you just weren't making shots. So who's to say you would have made shots with the, the five guards out there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's easy to go back and, and, and nitpick. Now the, the, the one thing I, I had issue with, I thought that they could have maybe done a little differently. I thought they set too many ball screens, especially when they had, um, Oh, the back Casey Benson, out there on the perimeter against guys he's a guy that michigan kind of figured out you could go at and they were still setting ball screens on him and as you know when i'm a guard and i feel like i can get by a guy easily i don't want a ball screen just get out of my way and let me take this guy so i thought that kind of jumbled things up at times they were maybe a little too over reliant on the ball screens maybe that comes from they had so much success against purdue doing that so that that was the only thing that, that kind of i looked at and was like Ooh, you're just you're just crowded up out there. But for the for the most part, I I think you know he tried some different stuff and they were able to chip back a little bit. Yeah, and I, tell me if you agree with me or not. But 
this will be a question for Josh Jackson at the next level. I feel like he was more comfortable all year guarding up rather than guarding down, if that makes any sense. Like, okay, you put him at the four, but, like, he didn't seem that – I mean, I know Joel Luala-Chul is not, like, the greatest offensive player ever. <laughs> but, I mean, he didn't seem too uncomfortable guarding a seven-footer. But, like, Dylan Brooks, it just – or, or Deontay Burton, you know, I, I, those sort of guard types, that, that really seemed to give him more trouble, the guys that could kind of drive and or uh, shoot from the outside. So, again, putting him on Jordan Bell and kind of matching up athleticism for athleticism seemed like a pretty smart move late for Kansas. And you mentioned earlier, it's just tough. It's tough in the teeth of a game to, to have all these things. You know, you got to make these decisions quick, and you got to get this done. I mean, yeah. and, and maybe and get, Brooks, maybe, Brooks is so physical – that it's hard to put somebody else on him. So that that's one reason maybe not for, for downsizing because, yeah, okay, maybe it makes sense to have Jackson on Bell, but I don't know who else it makes sense to have on Brooks because if, if you put a, a leaner guy like a, a Vic on, on Brooks, then he could just take him in the but, post. So that, that was also difficult. I mean, but, Oregon's just a really t- tough team to match up against and, and what they do in similar ways that Kansas was a tough team to match up against. But C.J., Jackson didn't guard Brooks most of the game because he couldn't guard him. They had Vic and Mason on him most of the game. So that was already going to be a matchup problem for Kansas because Jackson showed and proved he couldn't guard Brooks. Okay, you had to switch him off. And I'll tell you what, Frank Mason guarded his butt off against Dylan Brooks. I mean, he was in his face all those times. And Vic did an okay job. I mean, most of the points that Brooks got were against Jackson. Yeah, I'm pretty sure every time Mason was on him, it was in a switch. You could go back and watch for sure. But I think it was on a switch out of a ball screen. Mm. I don't, I don't think so. I think when Jack struggled, Jackson struggled early, it was Mason on him. I remember tweeting about it. So, and again, he was giving up. What would that be? Eight inches and thirty-five pounds. I tweeted out something like that. But uh, yeah. Mason was into it both ends. I mean, the one thing I saw that Mason did, if you go back and watch the film, um, about three or four times you could tell he was pressing because he gambled for offensive rebounds. And Oregon didn't get much in transition, but almost every single time he went for like one of those fifty-fifty or forty-sixty balls uh, for an offensive rebound. Oregon got it and had like a two-on-one the other way and scored almost every single time. So again, it's just kind of like he could. They tell, were in desperation mode. He could tell he needed to do a little bit more this game, and yeah. you start trying to do a little bit more than you're supposed to. And, and I, I'm not saying I blame him because Frank Mason was having to take over, but like it cost Kansas. You know what I mean? Like he couldn't get there in that instant, and he couldn't get the offensive rebound, and Oregon scored on the other end immediately. And some of those points were very important in the grand scheme of things. Uh, let's what two more? Keith Smith. Who was Oregon? What I'm sorry, was Oregon the better team? Who would win in a best of five? Um, I think that man, I would I would probably still I would maybe slide with Kansas. I think it's a toss up, but you know Oregon's really really good. Um, <laughs> if we're playing the game at the Sprint Center, maybe maybe KU wins three out of five. But I, I think it was a really really close matchup, and you know. Um, I, I don't think like that seven and a half line was 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 fair. So I I, I don't know that that I, I think I would lean Kansas in a best of five, but I think it's still kind of a toss up. Kansas. I know that's like the worst uh, yeah, sports was, radio answer yeah, ever. You, you, you got to be definitive in whatever you say. That was but. awful, CJ. Yeah, yeah, you're hedging big time. Come on, man. No, K- KU wins it for sure. Not not close. Uh, KU is the better team. It's 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 close. That that's not that's close. So. Not close. That's well, hey, we, we can disagree. There's nothing wrong with that. We can disagree. KU not close, but uh, I think I I I I like KU a lot better in a best of five. Uh, if they don't know that the final four is on the line, if that makes any sense. All right, last one, CJ, from Corey Beckman on here. A look at best and worst-case scenarios for who leaves and who stays and what each means for the Big 12 run at 14. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but I think the best-case scenario for KU, Devontae and Svee staying. Maybe you had another post player through recruiting, but uh, I think if KU gets Trevon Duvall and loses Devontae and Svee, that takes a little bit of a hit. But otherwise, Devontae and Svee come back. I think they're the favorite to win the Big 12 title. Yeah, I think so too. Are you no Josh Jackson? <laughs> oh shoot, I forgot all about him. You forgot uh, about him. Best case scenario, he stays too. Um, no, I I think that um, I think that's that's the case, and I also think, excuse me, I also think that you could see them even if those guys stay, you could see KU go out and get a couple guys, whether that's grad transfers or. Uh, high school guys, or or even maybe the, the JUCO. I believe they're in on a JUCO kid, right? 
Uh, yeah, they are. Uh, and the thing about it is Bill Self is always best at getting these guys t- toward the end. I mean, pulling out like the Kevin Youngs of the world, uh, graduate mm-hmm. transfers, Tark Black. Uh, it seems like KU always has somewhere to go to if they need a body. And a post player definitely seems like something that should be on their wish list. And if they lose Svee and Graham, I think they'll definitely go out and get a grad transfer guard. I, I You know, who knows who that is? You don't know who's going to be out there on the market. But they'll be in the market for a guard, and that's a pretty attractive place to go, right? So I think if, if that happens, you've seen Louisville do it a lot lately, go out and get a transfer or a grad transfer guard and have some success with it. I could see KU going that route. Quick plug, CJ. What are you doing this week? What's coming out on Bleach Report? All right. I will be at the Final Four starting on Thursday. I will have some kind of story come out that night or Friday morning. I don't know what that is yet because I've got a story session or a, a – uh, whatever you want to call it, a brainstorming session here in about 20 minutes. So uh, I'll figure out then probably what I'm going to be writing on. But got plenty of stuff on the site that, uh, that's gone up over the last week or so. Wrote a column about uh, Bill Self if you, if you want to go check that out from, from this weekend at the game. So uh, plenty of material that will be coming out. And, uh, Jesse, it's been fun doing this all season, and I'm sure we'll continue to uh, to keep the pods coming as the, as the off season gets here and, and things kind of settle down a little bit i think i feel like J- jesse bless his bless his heart is going to have to piece this together because there's been a radio call interruption my dog interrupting the podcast <laughs> and then my dad randomly showing up to get my dog to babysit the dog while i'm gone so it's been a pretty wild podcast i don't know and and i think i went on some kind of rant about my dog going outside that hopefully jesse doesn't put on this podcast because it was pretty x-rated I'm protecting you here, CJ. No problem. But I appreciate you having you on every single week. We'll probably take a couple week hiatus here at least to uh, to let the college basketball season breathe and to let us breathe a little bit. But like I said, I appreciate you having on, having you on every single week and the insights you brought. I thought uh, that you are getting so much better at plugging your own stuff. That's what that's what I'm here to help you with, CJ, is to plug what you do and make sure that everybody knows that uh, that your stuff out there is the best stuff that they'll read. So uh, thanks to CJ for taking the time to talk. Uh, and for Jesse, we're going to sign off for the Sports Beat KC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode later this month.